Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Authentic Woman. This is your host, Shannon Fisher, and we've got a really exciting show tonight. I always love when we're doing a live show to have a, a an audience that's out there listening in real time as I'm asking my guest questions. And the guest that I have tonight, she's we're going to talk about her memoir, and she has lived an extremely interesting interesting life. Uh, I've had some occasion to work with her several times throughout my advocacy work, and she's a powerhouse. Uh, so today she's going to talk about her personal and her professional perspective on the female experience in America. Uh, my guest is the Honorable Alice Borodkin. She served in the Colorado House of Representatives for eight years, uh, only leaving because she was term limited. And while she was there, she founded and chaired the Colorado Women's Healthcare Caucus, and she built a bipartisan coalition for the first piece of human trafficking legislation in the Colorado House, which is a bill that, that she wrote, uh, creating an interagency law enforcement task force on trafficking. And trafficking is an issue close to my heart, so I, I, I've, I've worked with Alice a bit on that. She was honored on the floor of the Colorado House of Representatives for founding the organization Women Engaging Globally, which addresses human trafficking, violence against women, women's peace and security in post-conflict areas around the world. She's recently written her memoir, which is Caught Between the Bettys, and I can't wait for her to tell you about it. Alice, welcome. Oh, my goodness, who is that woman? I'd love to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> I I never realized I did all that, but I did, I guess. Yeah, your biography is uh, it, it's there are so many things that you've done, and I, and I so admire that because you when you take on an issue and champion it, you really go to the wall with it. You don't just kind of dabble. You say, okay, this I care about this, and so I'm going to do everything I can to make this better, uh, which I just think is a quality that a lot of people are lacking. Well, I and I agree with you on that on that issue too. The thing is that you, whenever I look at Facebook or Twitter or anything, and everybody's complaining, okay, my answer to that is, what do you want to do about it, and when do you want to do it? I'll mm-hmm. do it. Just tell me what you want, and we'll get it done. Because right. that's and that may be a little bit of a New York attitude. I don't know. <laughs> we don't have. I never well, I gave that. I think it's just pragmatic. I think it's pragmatic. You know, if there's right. a problem, you want to fix it, and and that's uh, stop talking yeah. about everything. Let's just do something. Do exactly. something. Exactly. So it's, it's Speaking difficult. of doing something, yeah. you just wrote your memoir, and I did. Uh, and, yeah. So, what made you decide that you wanted to to write it to do a retrospective? <laughs> Well, the first thing that happened was uh, I think I took a nap when I was 12, and when I woke up, I was 80. So (laughs) I decided (laughs) we would do that, perhaps. But basically, we have a a small writing group, and uh, our our leader is a, a published author, and she teaches screenwriting and the whole thing. And it's a very diverse group, but for whatever reason, we just all bonded. It's so, it was just amazing. And we felt very safe where we were. And so what we were doing was writing a memoir. And I, she would throw out a prompt and I was off and running. And I had no idea I was going to do a book. I just wanted to see what this was all about. And then one day, <laughs> Anne, who is a workshop leader, Anne Randolph, it is called kitchen table writing because that's what we, where we are in her house. Um, she said, you know, you have a book. Get an editor. So I did what she said. <laughs> the next thing that's I knew, great. I had a book. 
Yeah. That is fantastic. And the title yeah. of your book really does, uh, it, it, it's very pithy, and it references exactly what you've gone through in your life. The title is Caught Between the Bettys. Right. And it's uh, Betty Crocker and Betty Friedan. So and tell me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm Dad, sorry. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me what the Betty mm-hmm. Crocker is and what the Betty Friedan is and how you're caught in the middle. The part that I don't, what, I, what I'm finding out more and more is that people do not know who Betty Friedan was. And they very occasionally, when I say mention Gloria Steinem, they'll say, yes, I have heard the name, but tell me about her again. And it really makes me angry because if you don't keep this fire ignited, we will lose everything that we have. So the two Bettys were Betty Crocker and Betty Friedan. Betty Crocker, because in in the very late 40s and early 50s, and in the early 50s I was 20, and I did just what what they expected me to do. I got married, and I went on a honeymoon, and I came home, and six months later I was pregnant. And I kept thinking to myself, there must be, (laughs) I got to do something. There was... I always wanted to do something. I was always in my business with my father, always. And yeah. it was interesting because I did a lot of work for him and with him from the time I was eight years old during World War II. Uh, that's where we, we have that uh, uh, Rosie the Riveter in the book because I remember mm-hmm. seeing the real Rosie the Riveters. But when I got married and and when I was oh about 18 or so, I ran his stores for him and I did a lot of work for him and all of a sudden now you're married and now I can't write a check I don't even know how to write a check so my husband was sent to Chicago to learn about uh, the retail business we had stores there and he called me up one night and said go to the top drawer pull out my checkbook take out a check and mail it to me and I will pay the rent and I did that. And now, wow. and I think, yeah, all of a sudden I didn't even know how to write a check because this whole man of 23 was supposed to be the boss. And I just yeah. never sat right with me. It never sat right, which you'll see in the prologue because after being married for about three weeks, and we all went to Bermuda in those days, got mm-hmm. home. And I got a phone call from him in a wind-tossed, rain-drenched uh, phone booth, and he said, can you pick me up? And I said, sure. So I jumped in the car and I went. And this is what I call the um, move-over-honey syndrome. So mm-hmm. he runs around to my side and he says, move over, honey, and I'll drive. And I looked at him like he was nuts. I said, no, I have a license. You know, <laughs> I'll drive. Get mm-hmm. in. Now, and that went back and forth for a few minutes. And finally he said, if you don't get in, I'm going to leave. And he wouldn't get in, so I left. And I went home with the stone <laughs> in my stomach and a big glass of wine. But then about a, 20 minutes later, his mother pulls up in the car with him. She brought him home. He called his mommy, and she saved him. So yeah, there you go. But she was really upset with me, and I like I cared. But you know, <laughs> right? So I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, that, you said. Yeah. No, go ahead. 
I know. I, I'm thinking to myself, those were the days when you just didn't do things like that, and I just wanted to be validated for who I was and what I was doing, and that was impossible. It was impossible. Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. and you, you said you refer to the fact that Betty Friedan calls it the problem without a name in yes. the the feminine mystique, the and, feminine and mystique. I think. Yeah, that's something that all women struggle with even today. Today, but absolutely. That time, especially have, at that time. Yeah. No, there, oh, it was, that was the way it was. And too bad I had to wait until I got my little consciousness-raising group together after reading that book, and we talked about it. But then we went home to our homes, and, you know, life went on, just doing what you were doing. But yeah. different opportunities presented itself, and uh, I don't know. I just pushed pushed for them. I wanted to get them, and I think learning to fly was the deal that really told me I was in charge of me. Yeah, and that yeah, uh, yeah. So you, because you're all you're all alone in the plane, you better be in charge. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's and, let's rewind back be- long before all of that. When you yeah. were a little girl, you said yes. that you were a diva in training. <laughs> yes, and I was. That your mother was grooming you a certain way. What that's was correct? What was that all like? all the mommies in those days. You know, I had to marry a senator or marry a doctor. I never, but nobody ever asked me what I wanted, and I didn't know what I wanted. I was doing as I was told, so I married the boy next door. And uh, he's the one I left standing in the rain, but we were still married 47 years, so he <laughs> passed away. But, uh, and even my mother-in-law didn't understand me, and that took her finally. But we had, a good, we had a good relationship, but it took her 47 years to figure me out. So in any event, it, um, yeah, that's what, you, that's what you did. You, you, you did that, and I think my mother's message to me was, Everybody must marry well. All these divas sitting around in their gorgeous clothes. Marry well was the big deal. But, yeah. you know, instead of marrying the senator, I decided I'll go for it myself. So. Right, right. <laughs> but your dad had different ideas, and your dad was yes. an entrepreneur, and, and yes. you said that he kind of nurtured that spirit within you. He really did, and I did not realize until I wrote the book how much of an influence he had on my life. Um, and to this day, you know, feel, I never call anything an imi- uh, um you know, it's a copier or it's an imitation or whatever. He used to tell me that it was a genuine um, a genuine imitation or something like that. But, you know, but his marketing and his sales pitches were so, that's where I got it from. And the energy, yeah. that's where I got it from. And I didn't know that. Yeah, it was great. It was good. We had yeah. a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Well, and I think we take on qualities like that by osmosis, kind of without oh, yes. even realizing it, just by watching our, you know, our parents and and other authority figures and people we respect, and we yeah. don't even realize we're learning until all of a sudden we're doing the same thing, and we think, huh. I know where yeah. I got that. <laughs> well, I didn't realize it until I started writing the book, and then I realized yeah. how much of an influence he was on my life, and probably still is. So, yeah. you know, the action item is what, as you were pointing out before, you want something done, get it done. That's it. And that's what we did. <laughs> 
but yeah, it was really interesting. And and um, reading Betty Betty Friedan wrote three books, which a lot of people don't realize. And uh, I got all three of them when I was researching her and doing the book and finding that even as they aged, they were having problems. As women aged, they found there was age discrimination. I think a lot of that may – I had a newspaper for a while, too. It was called the uh, Women's Business Chronicle, and it was just business. And we tackled all those issues, and that was way before anybody thought about doing that. Yeah. Which, but they still, it, you're right, still there, very much so. And I think yeah. people have to to learn that you don't have to. You don't have to make a choice is what I learned from the Bettys. I can be, right. I love my house, I love to cook, I, I love to keep the house pretty and flowers and plants, and and I can still be the political activist that I think I always intend to be. Yes. So yes. you don't have to make and a I choice. That's, yeah, that's the message. That, the message of your book is the answer to the quintessential, can we have it all? And the answer is yes, we just have to make it. Balance. <laughs> it's balance. It's, yeah. It wasn't yeah. easy. And the young, when my kids were small and I was um, director of marketing for the Transportation Authority in New York, and I used to die when 3 o'clock came because I knew they were getting out of school, but I also knew that they were taken care of. But I, you know, called up every five minutes. We didn't have the – we just had regular dial tone phones, you know. We didn't have the little hand phones. And, uh, you know, it was it, it was rough where – one, we were commuting. My husband and I were commuting between Norfolk, Virginia. Y'all know about Norfolk, and uh-huh. uh, we and uh, he was down there, and I went uh, down there, and then my daughter went down there, and she loved it, and so she stayed there. Now my husband goes to Japan, and I'm working for the Office of Economic Development, and I get a phone call. She's in the hospital. She's got pneumonia. Oh no! So I booked a flight because in those days you could book a flight and right. I left and job or no job I had to be there yeah. because her father was in, in uh, Tokyo so right. it was you know those those are the things What what's your priority what's your priority at the moment <laughs> that's what right. you the question <laughs> well right yes most definitely most definitely well and you said that kind of throughout your marriage that mm-hmm. that you and your husband struggled with defining the gender roles because it, it it was it was fluid and neither one of you knew how to handle it or how to adjust to to kind of a new dynamic and, and that's true and that that is definitely true don't forget he was i was 20 when i got married he was a big 23 we knew each other because we lived next door and so each of us were trying to follow what we were what we had learned to do and i was really shocked when he came home and he said next week we are going to take our first flying lesson i thought <laughs> i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it not go get your hair done honey and i'm going off to learn how to fly and so that that opened the door for me boy i thought if i can do that what the hell else can i do <laughs> yeah yeah, it was great. So you were it, bitten. You were bitten by the bug. You said that when you when you showed up at the uh, at the flight, 
school that the yeah. instructor was perhaps not so nice. No, he was not nice. First he took the gum out of his mouth and he put it on the wing, and he said, there, that should hold it. And I just reminded him that if I go down, he's going with me. So that was the end of that. And then he looked at me and he said, I can't understand why you want to learn how to fly. You either want to get laid or you're a lesbian. That was the attitude. 1969. That was the attitude. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. even through all that and with that attitude, you still loved it and oh, yeah. went back and oh, yeah. got your license. So oh, what, damn was right. <laughs> what was yeah. it What was it that just made you have to do it? I just loved being in charge of the plane. When he jumped out of the plane for my first solo, I was waiting for him to do that. I couldn't wait. And then it became very competitive between my husband and I because he had soloed the week before. So that meant I had a solo immediately, if not sooner. So I did. But I think it was just, you know, I think Jonathan Livingston Seagull, who was written by also a pilot, and he said that he felt that flying was because you wanted to be in charge of your life, that you were in charge of your own destiny. And that appealed to me. Yes, I was in charge, and I wanted to do it. There was nothing like being in the plane and surrounded by the cockpit and just the crackle of the radio and the knowing that everything is working well and the sun coming in. And you just, I just loved it. I still do, but now I haven't flown in a long time, so. Well, and that was that was you said really a turning point in your life oh, when you decided absolutely. you wanted to become a career woman. So, I, how did you make yeah. that transition? Well, I didn't know that's what I wanted. I just mm-hmm. knew that. Then I joined uh, the International Organization of Women Pilots, which is nicknamed the Ninety Nines. Amelia Earhart founded it, and she found she called it the, the nickname uh, because Ninety Nine Women showed up who had licenses in those days and yeah. that was the 99 so i got involved with the 99s and the next thing i knew i was out making speeches about women in aviation and flying and i had no problem with that and then i started to write articles for newspapers um who were aviation oriented and yeah. i just you know it just Move through. I don't know how the hell I did it. I really don't. Sure, sure. Well, so you started to write for a, J- a paper for JFK and LaGuardia? I started the paper. I had yeah, absolutely yeah. no clue what I was doing. I never had written or put a paper together or done stuff like that. And so I just went ahead and found people who knew what I we what we needed and I learned and I learned pretty fast and selling I had learned from my dad um that mm-hmm. even came into play when I was in the legislature because you have to sell a bill when you get it yeah uh and it's yeah. quite hard for a woman so it right. was hard but yeah um that's how I started the paper and then that paper began to lead me into politics and the, it was bad politics at that time. Um, the the airport is in Queens County, and uh, JFK Airport. And the borough president at the time uh, was very nice, and he accepted everything I was doing. And we started the chamber and all that good stuff. 
And then I got a job in the economic development office when I sold the newspaper. And so that was great. And then he killed himself. And when he killed himself, he brought down the entire New York City government with him. And Mayor Koch, everybody, everybody. Oh, wow. So I, I, got, I learned... I learned a lot as far as politics, and I was always drawn to it. So there you go. You know, one thing yeah. led to another. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And at that time, I mean, women were definitely not a fixture in politics. No, they were uh, and, not. And, yeah, you said you faced some, some questions about your motives and how you got where you were. Oh, <laughs> Yes, they all wondered who I was sleeping with um, to start the chamber and all that good stuff. They should have realized I wasn't sleeping with anybody because I thought I was going to be president, and I wasn't. And that's because I didn't <laughs> advocate on behave, behalf of myself. So right. a man got it. But, you know, those are yeah. you learn. These are the bumps along the way that you have to learn from. If you don't learn yeah. from them, then you're making a big mistake. So exactly. you know, just um, so you just tell people to shut up and you do what you have to do. <laughs> well, yeah, because you were you were having an internal uh, dialogue, an internal awakening, but also right. there was a societal awakening happening Terrible. simultaneously, and yes. so you're yes. watching people resist that. Uh, because everybody resists the change to the status quo. And here you are pretty much, you know, you are the poster child for I changing the status quo. Yeah, And yeah. I didn't realize that. I really didn't realize that. I just knew I wanted to be more and I wanted to do more and be involved and, you know, things like that. And that's all I really wanted to do. But I wanted my family to validate who I was. And yeah. my my mother and father, I think, well, my mother, I don't know if she was happy or not with me, but but I know my father <laughs> was. And I know my in-laws weren't because they didn't understand it at all. But they were all, you know, professional musicians and, and uh, business and things like that meant nothing to them. So they didn't know. And you battle yeah. your family. You battle your family. They're the ones you want to have validate you. But they don't, and I find it still today, a lot of that, still today. Young women, I don't think, know what we are really up against, and I know, Shannon, you know what we're really up against. We could lose everything if we don't get that, that spark back again, and we don't seem to have it. I don't know. Do you have it? I have it. (laughs) I have it. You know I have it. That's why I have yeah. this show. Yes. But um, you know, I think a lot of the a lot of younger people they just don't think that it can be taken away. They don't take thoughts seriously because they've never been around. They've during never the been around when it wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're like birth control. Why would somebody go after birth control? That's ridiculous. Right. Well, here right. we are. The Supreme Court's ruling on birth control. I mean, it's really yeah. kind of. You know, it, it's coming to fruition, but I think eyes are really are starting to starting yeah, to open. And, well, you so- know, even when we were marching down Fifth Avenue, and this was so funny because I lived in New York at the time, and I didn't it, the equal rights thing seemed to be what attracted me, and so I ended up marching down the, the Fifth Avenue with everybody, Bella Abzug, and uh, who was it, Gloria Steinem, and Betty Friedan, and. Yeah. Uh, 
Then, now, it's 40 years later, now I get an email. Are you, am I going to Washington? They're going to march on the Capitol for equal rights. And I said, no, I don't think so. I did that 40 years ago. So I didn't go again. But yeah. that will never happen either. I don't see that happening. I don't right. see a lot of things happening that should have. Um, the rights of the child, the CEDAW, the violence against women, that's never been really done either. So we yeah, have, those we are have a, international. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's not just in the United States. I mean, it's, it's no. even worse globally. It's it's in impoverished countries. It's it's unbearable to sometimes that's think right. about the situations that women go through. Well, I've been very honored to be a member of uh, World Denver. World Denver works with the State Department here, the United States, and they bring they have a visitor program where they bring people in from all over the country, all over the world, who want to know more. We had uh, 28 young women who wanted to know more about women in politics. And so I arranged a day for them at the Capitol, and I had all my colleagues come and talk to them. And I got—I began then to learn about what the, their issues, which are exactly the same as our issues, yeah. exactly the same. Uh, I learned from them, and I've since then had many meetings with these women. The women that inspire me the most are these women from the Middle East. They are bucking a system like you can't believe, a culture oh, yeah. that has thousands of years. And it, it's they are amazing. So we've all kept in touch. We exchanged emails, and it's thrilling to hear from them. And that also will be a book that I'm researching and putting together files on now about these women and their their issues and what they're doing to fight the system. So it's really it's they amaze me. They just amaze me. They all yeah, you'll be yeah. you'll be big bucking the system for the rest of your life and even <laughs> long beyond when you're gone, your legacy will be women bucking the well, system everywhere. I hope you're right, but I don't intend <laughs> to be gone. I mean, I can't picture myself dead at all. <laughs> I, you know, that just, you know, and, well, we'll and that's... I have dinner on your 140th birthday. We'll go wait, out to dinner. No, It'll wait a minute, fun. wait a minute. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> But, you know, it's something I was just looking through the book before you called, and and there's a chapter in there called What I Really Want to Say. And it says, recently someone asked me, how do you want your book to end? And I thought, I don't know about the book, but I'm damn sure I don't want anything in my life to end. So that's the answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's the answer. Yes, yes, for sure. Well, no, go ahead. Yeah, it's interesting to me that my editor was the one who pointed out that this was a lesson for the younger women in what life was like and the things that we all went through to get to where we are today. And as you well know, we we had that shooting in Colorado Springs yesterday, um, and that was a disaster. They think choice is something that was always there. 
they don't remember, I remember, laying under the table and listening to my mother call nine million people for a neighbor or her sister or herself. Um, They just couldn't have another child. And if you want to go back to those days and you want to go to a dirty, filthy place and have something done, be my guest, but that's not the way it should be. No, so. and and birth control even. I mean, in in the 90s, oh, yeah. right after the pill was uh, came on the market, you either had to have your father's or your husband's permission to get a prescription yep. for birth control. Yeah. When I heard yeah. that, because that was that was a little bit before my time. I was born in seventy two, and when I heard that, I thought, yeah. "You are kidding me." No, I remember. <laughs> I remember that. I do. When it first came out. And all my friends were raving about the pill. My doctor wouldn't let me go on it. He was afraid. He didn't know what the long-term effects were. So, okay, fine. But, but yeah, that's right. Alone, you couldn't get a loan. You couldn't have property in your name. Really, there were just you were just a second-class citizen. And unless we get our act together, that's what we're going to go back to. People don't see the legislation that passes across your desk or my desk. Uh, what the you know? It's to me, it's don't you guys have anything else to think about but women? <laughs> really, <laughs> what they're talking? Amen. Amen. Don't right. have anything I, else? I agree. My God, I mean, jobs and the economy, terrorism. You know, right, the world's going of... to hell in a handbasket. Leave my uterus alone, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's no good anymore anyway, so. <laughs> so oh. But, the, yes, and, and that's my, my thoughts. And when I'm listening to them, it's like, my God, guys, get it together. There's other things besides what we're doing. So right. it's it's um it's really been an interesting journey, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> well, so 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 you're in New York. So what took you to Colorado? Well, Mr. Wonderful, at that time we were commuting between Virginia, between Norfolk and mm-hmm. New York City, and then they GE. He was working for GE. Then he was um, training people on uh, all kinds of things, new new uh, new products and things, and they decided to send him down to Virginia. And I went down there, and I, I, because we walked in one morning at MTA, and we all got fired, everybody. They decided they were going to uh, decentralize marketing. So, okay, fine. So we all got fired, so I figured, okay, he's down there. I'm going to pack up and go. And I did. We sold the house. I went down there. And then they changed him to, they switched him to um, Colorado. So I said, okay, fine, I'll come out and see what it looks like, and I fell in love with it. When I got here, I just fell in love with Denver, absolutely. And now Denver's getting more like New York every day, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) The traffic is awful, (laughs) and we're leading the world in, in population explosion, but it's okay. It's, I could never go back to live in New York, but I do have to go back for a fix. I have to, you know, I have to um, get an attitude fix and uh, a, a, a speech fix because otherwise, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to lose that. It's very intimidating. Oh, 
sure. I mean, you, yeah, because, I mean, there's such a, a strong, wonderful characteristic about a New York accent. I mean, I just don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I I love it. I could listen to it forever. And and some some Southerners say, oh, it it hurts my ears. And I'm like, talk to me because it's just there's just something about it. The character kind of oozes through the accent. I think it's an attitude. I think mm-hmm. um, yeah. basically. And I think New York is really more of a state of mind than an actual city. But yes. but it's just yeah. It's crazy. In fact, you know, after I remarried, after Howard died, I used to wear, well, I always, that's why there's pearls on the cover uh, of the book, is because mm-hmm. I love to wear black with pearls, which is very New York, and very high heels, which is also, I don't know, crazy, but I do it. And <laughs> I would come downstairs dressed, and my husband would say, and who do we want to intimidate today? <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, and then I would find when I got excited um, down at the well, you know, making a, a pitch for a bill or or responding to somebody, that the accent got stronger. And these guys were really intimidated. They really were. So it was great. Yeah, <laughs> so I go that back is now. great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, and and now, I mean, I think also older women oh get my God. more respect than than young I mean even today even in 2015 you put a 25 year old and a 55 year old in a boardroom making a presentation and they're going to be uh, you know no matter how intelligent the younger one is she's definitely not going to get the same amount of respect because they well I didn't have a lot of respect there were a few of us uh, some of them were younger than I but looked older than I and and uh one day I finally walked into the speaker and I said, here's the deal. You may not think I'm the future of the Democratic Party, but in some sense I am because of my experience and because of what I bring to this. So please don't ever count me out on anything anymore. And that was the end of that. You know, the older Women, they're really well. Now it's different. I think they're much well. Of course, to me, everybody's young now, but <laughs> they're all twelve. Everybody's twelve. But right. there were um, the the men were um, not happy with a lot of us, uh, really. And I really didn't care. I really did not care. These were the things. The human trafficking bill was the first time that this state had a bill totally focused on human trafficking. So tell me how that came to be. So you you run, you run for the state legislature, you get uh, elected, and you're in there, and you're a right. Democrat, but obviously this is kind of a bipartisan issue. So how did you take it from an idea into reality? Well, I think it's very funny because the first two years that I was in, we were in the uh, in the minority. The Democrats were in the minority, and the Republicans, and there were some really, really, they were so right they were coming around the left already, but they, they really were not happy. Uh, but I went to uh, the Center for Women Policy Studies in Washington. Had uh, I got a scholarship to go to their... Um, not Women, Peace, and Security, but their uh, Foreign Policy Institute. And at mm-hmm. the Foreign Policy Institute, you 
listen and you learn and you visit the State Department, you visit, you hear stories from people who really, Doctors Without Borders, everything. And that's, I always knew about it, but I didn't know about it until I heard about it. And that's when I decided we got to do something in our state about it because I found out that we really had a big problem here, as everybody yeah. does. So uh, I immediately contacted the two two representatives that were at the conference with me, um, one in Washington State and one in Florida, and I asked them to send me their email their bills that they had this task force that they put together, and I thought that would be a good way to start the conversation. And um, basically, I passed the bill, and they we created. Um, an interagency law enforcement task force. I had no budget. I had no body, no no staff, no staffing, and it was a pat on the head that said, okay, Alice, go play. <laughs> and so we put it together. But then the, the, the Department of Criminal Justice was looking for um, they had just applied for a $450,000 grant, and when I started the task force, that nailed it, and they got it, and they staffed the committee, and they helped me write the the whole, you know, the review for the Judiciary Committees to read, uh, but they still didn't get it. Now yeah. they get it. Now they get it. And for for anyone yes. out there listening who isn't familiar with human trafficking, if you're if you're uh, someone that has 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 listened to me or read my uh, my pieces in the last few years, you're probably pretty familiar with it. Maybe even sick of hearing about it by now. But <laughs> we have uh, an extremely extremely severe problem with human trafficking right here in the United States. Uh, some of it is gang related, and uh, some of it is not. Uh, but our children in every town, every city, every state, um, our, our suburban children, our urban yep. children, it knows no socioeconomic uh, very background. Very vulnerable, are, right. Yeah, are very, very vulnerable. And so uh, we need to keep an eye out for that. And, and, I, and, and I think that you said, Alice, that one of the reasons that uh, it's so bad in Denver is because I-70 goes through there. Well, I did propose a second bill. And it passed on a spe- in a special session that that we held. Um, it also passed, which designated a task force of specially trained state patrol to recognize when they were being trafficked, as opposed to entering the country as illegals. Mm-hmm. And I tried to follow up on it. <laughs> And then I found out that, well, they put it into another bill, and then they ran out of money, I heard. And I figured, thinking to myself, what do you mean you ran out of money? It had a, a million-dollar uh, price tag on it. Well, how did you run out of money? So I don't know what the hell happened to that. I think they're doing it now, but I'm not sure. There is there out. is a lot of yeah. waste. There is a lot of ways. Well, and so you you founded the Colorado Women's Healthcare Caucus. What what did you not do? <laughs> well, I knew I couldn't do a pro-choice caucus because the Republican women wouldn't wouldn't come, and we did want the women to come. So we called it a healthcare caucus, 
and and we would have guest speakers come and talk to us uh, and you know bring your own lunch in in a committee room during the lunch hour and talk about the different issues that are affecting women such as um uh, social security or health care or anything like that. And we did sneak in a few reproductive rights speakers, too. But the <laughs> only way to get everybody to come was to not call it anything that had to do with reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. But that's basically what it was all about. So they came, and people talked about health care and different things. And, of course, it all touched on... on uh, women who could not afford to have another child and birth control now right. birth con- i i was chair of the NARAL uh, C4 board which was the political board for a couple of years and mm-hmm. uh, during that time we had this very strong program and the uh rate went down on on uh, on unborn uh, on uh, abortions the rate yeah. went down because they weren't pregnant. You want to screw around? Fine, that's okay. Just take care of yourself. Right, and so. I think that's that's the point that's so so hard for me to grasp that people can't grasp is that birth control reduces abortion. <laughs> so mm-hmm. don't fight mm-hmm. birth control and abortions because if you don't want abortions, then right. give people access Thank you. to birth control. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Right. That's, so what that's do you think right. is behind? We've gotten so heated, and the rhetoric has turned up to, you know, DEFCON yeah. 1. Uh, wh- yeah. What is behind that in recent years, do you think? The the um, Well, I think politically, um, most of the – if they're Republican, and maybe a few Democrats, but I haven't found any yet, um, who are against choice. And I think that they are focusing more on women and women's issues because their constituency likes that. Mm-hmm. They don't want these things to happen. They don't want this to happen. They don't want birth control. They they don't want abortion. I don't know. It's like make up your mind. And um, that's what I think. I think that they're 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 bending towards and listening to their constituency. All they want to do is be reelected again. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding more and more of that. Um, I had a trip to Washington, and I went up to talk to everybody. And, you know, it was just what I found was it, they live under a very, very tight umbrella. And... Everybody's sleeping with one another. Everybody knows everything about everybody else, and they forgot about us. Yeah, they forgot about us. Yeah. So well, and uh, they didn't. Yeah, if it's not a constant reminder, then I mean, pretty much everything in life out of sight, out of mind. You know, I oh mean, yeah. If you're not thinking about it, and if it's not an issue, and if it's not a problem, I mean, yeah. just like in an everyday, you know, a, a marriage. I mean, if you don't. Take right. care of it and remember that it's there and that there are things that you have to do to tend to it. There, you've got eventually there are going to be problems. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. So, it, um, oh, I I want you to tell the listeners just one. Uh, there was one thing in your book that made me laugh so hard. You said oh, that you God. had you you were seeing you had gone to see a therapist because you and your husband your your first husband were having some difficulties <laughs> adjusting. Right, and there was. There was a, and you were seeing it, but there was a reason that you decided to leave. Would you please yeah. tell my listeners that? Well, reason? the reason was when I came in for my session, 
I noticed she had suitcases and clothes all over the office, and I found out that she had just left her husband. So I changed therapists immediately because, you know, how could she be, uh, you know, working with me, telling me what I have to do when she can't do it? So that was the end of that. I just thought yeah. that was so funny. She's living in her office. She's a marriage she's living counselor in her office. counseling you on it, and she's, right. that, that just that right. cracked me up. So she tells me, she says, well, oh, excuse the mess. I, I had just left my husband. I thought, oh, God, <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> You're telling me how to save my marriage, and here you yeah. are leaving and divorced. Okay, so we moved exactly. on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, yeah. it was fun. It really was. Well, so fun. you you remarried later in life after your, after your first Very husband late. passed away. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and we had been married 47 years, and um, then he got cancer, and he passed away. And that's when I got the phone call, which I think I wrote about in the book, um, from a friend of mine. And uh, I think Howard had been gone about five months, and she said, how do you feel about meeting somebody? And in the background, I hear her husband say, for God's sake, leave the woman alone. The body's still warm. Okay. I said, well, you know, whatever. I haven't had a date in 50 years, but whatever. And uh, she invited me to her annual big holiday party, and I went. And I cried on the way there because it was icy and snowy, and I thought, I'm too old for this crap. I was 65. How, you know, the last thing, and they're waiting on, they weren't waiting in line for a 65-year-old widow without money. So that was a big problem and I wasn't interested I had my friends I had the newspaper I had my my beautiful black Labrador and I loved them like you love your babies and yes. uh, my big bottle of wine and I went to work and I was fine I had a lot of friends and that was it but yeah. when I then I met Arnie and his wife had only been gone three months and something I don't know. <laughs> Something clicked. I guess I trusted him. Uh, there were no was no game playing, and uh, he went off to London the next day to visit his daughter. And then when he came back, I invited. I don't know where I got the chutzpah to do this, <laughs> but I invited him to come to the movies with a bunch of women. <laughs> he could be the thorn amongst the roses, and he said yes. So I almost dropped dead. But he, you know, that was it. That was the beginning. And then we went on from there. So yeah, yeah, I was I was 66 when I ran for office. So so you, you know. uh, so you you started running for office after your after your second marriage or after you met your um, second well, husband. Yeah, but it was funny because um, one of my my closest friends is a Republican, and she had the seat that I ran for. Mm-hmm. Before me, she okay. saw me in sitting in um, you know uh, Friday night services at the at the synagogue, and she comes running down the aisle and she said, "Okay, I'm going to challenge Ken Gordon for the Senate seat. You run for my seat. It's your turn." <laughs> so I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, it was That's fun. Awesome. It was, and so you fun. guys have term limits. Only you're only allowed uh, eight years. Eight years. Eight years and. Same thing in the um, in the well. We have four two year terms, and they have two 
four-year terms in the uh, Senate. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and you find yourself out there with all this experience, and, you know, it's the same thing that happened to me when I was when we all got fired from MTA. It was like one day you're working with the executive director of the World Trade Center, and may they all rest in peace, and uh, the next day nobody knows you. So, right. <laughs> and it was the well, same thing. Yeah. yeah, and you made the most of it. I mean, you so you started women engaging globally. Tell me how yeah. that came about. Is that kind of a, a way to tunnel your passion once you once you left being a legislator? Well, I I guess what happened was one of the women in my writing group said to me, "You do so many things with women, you should start something and get some members going and work on some issues." So I got on. Um, I googled meetups and I formed a meetup and I had no idea that it would turn out like it did. It was like 150 women. Most of them were and are still very involved and one of them is a nurse who goes to Nepal every year. Um, Several of them are working the hotline for the trafficking issue, uh, the human trafficking and we have women who are just involved and that's the thing that's so important to me is that they nobody knows they only know the names of the women who are working who have money but they don't know about these women that work every day in the trenches on these issues domestic violence rape everything everything they work every day and when International Women's Day comes along, I think they need to be recognized. They really should yeah, be recognized. Yeah, they're in the trenches. Most definitely. We're in the trenches. Yeah. We're in the trenches. Yeah. And if we don't make noise about ourselves and what we do, who knows what we do? And well, how right, can you get right. them? Yeah. Well, and, so, and who knows how important the issues are because people – I right. mean, if if we don't talk about, if we don't tell people this is an issue that is important to me and here's why, then right. they might never hear about that issue. And we don't no. have to proselytize. We don't have to convert anybody. But if we just right. raise awareness that an issue is out there and if that issue right. also reaches into somebody else's heart and they say, well, I don't like that either, well, then they're going to develop a passion for it as well. And that's Absolutely. how I kind of view you just have to, it, 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 it's all about information sharing because the it's more information really, you have. It's education. It's being, yeah. you have to educate. And we had um, at our synagogue, the, I had two Tuesday nights in a row. I did it with the National Council of Jewish Women. I had all the contacts from the FBI, everybody that I knew, come down and talk to a room full of people about human trafficking and where it is and why we were, we need this education. And we had packed rooms, and I looked at these women, and they were all sitting with their mouths open. An intelligent group of women who had no clue that this was happening right here. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They had no clue. So that's the same thing with every issue that you attack and every issue I attack is that we don't uh we need to educate, constantly educate. Constantly. Right. And I don't care if you're pro choice or you're not pro choice, I don't care. But make an educated uh, decision 
before you support or don't support or vote for an educated decision. And I don't care if you're a Republican or a Libertarian. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. But learn and listen. Yes, so education that's so important. It's very important, and and uh, our public, most of the people at the at the public, you know, the public doesn't care unless it slaps them in the face. Right. So, so that's there you what go. we're here for. We are here to slap you in the face, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that might be fun. <laughs> I never tried that. <laughs> God. But you, you too, you do the same thing, I think, and and you advocate on behalf of women all the time. And I did not realize that I had a lesson in this book. That was something that I learned. I didn't realize that by writing the way it was, and the fights that we all had to get to where we are, and we still got a long way to go, um, might help younger women put this all in context and see where they came from and where they want to go. So I didn't realize that it was a lesson, but my editor said it was a lesson, and she was right. It so. is. It is. It's, it's, it's a lesson, and it's it's not so much a, a cautionary tale as it is just right. this is how it was not too That's long right. ago. That's it's right. in this woman's lifetime right here. Oh, yeah. And you know, this woman standing in front of you or, or over mm-hmm. the airwaves, you're listening to her right. voice. And, and this happened in your life. I mean, this, oh, yeah. you went from, this, I, I love you, you quote uh, <laughs> in the book. And I'll, I'll just take a quick second and read uh, you, uh, something from a Betty Crocker new picture cookbook. Oh. This, is what, this is what you were raised. This was your diva in training. Every morning before breakfast, comb hair, (laughs) apply makeup, and a dash of cologne. Does wonders for your morale and your families, too. Think pleasant thoughts while working, and a chore will become a labor of love. Have a hobby, garden, paint, pictures, (laughs) look through magazines for home planning ideas, read a good book or attend meetings, be interested, and you'll always be interesting. If you have a spare moment, sit down, close your eyes, and just relax. Right. And I mean, I just—that's—it's it, yep. fascinating to me. That's that—that's the extent of what you were taught. You were taught that those were your limitations. That's right. And also, there was a book out at the time called the um, uh, "How to Be a Good Wife," I think, or a "Good Wife Book." The "Good Wife Book," I think it was called. And I did get a copy of that for a shower gift when I got married. And that's the one where you know you wrap yourself in cellophane and bring and meet him at the door with a martini. So it was just, it was crazy. There's also a quote in the book that I had from uh, Nora Ephron. I really miss her. She was really great. And she said, whatever, this is an address that she gave to a commencement address in 1996 at Wellesley College. Whatever whatever you choose, however many roads you travel, I hope that you choose not to be a lady. I hope you will find some way to break the rules and make a little trouble out there. And I hope that you will choose to make some of that trouble on behalf of women. So I had to put that in the book because I thought that was great. <laughs> I really did. It is. Yeah. It you know, is. You, so I don't know. I don't know. Are there Some of the women that I talk to now, they really haven't got a clue about what's going on. And it's frightening. So well, how do I we think do, they're you know. starting to. 
I mean, I do Good. think they're starting to. I think conversations like this are becoming more mainstream, and I think issues, uh, you know, with the debates and the mainstream media coverage covering these right. issues uh, right. with the presidential election, I think that's bringing it into the forefront, even though a lot of the legislation is in the states, uh, you know, we've they, got people. Yeah, yeah but I tell you that the state legislators, legislatures have more impact on our daily lives than Congress. Yes. And people don't recognize that either. They don't even, if you ask people who represent you, they have no clue. They have no clue. Oh, I think it's uh, somebody in Congress. No, well, who represents you? Find out, and I because I'm going to ask you next week, so you better find mm-hmm. out. <laughs> and I mean, who represents you? Don't just vote for people because they're one thing or another. You know, they're a Democrat or they're a Libertarian or whatever. Vote for the vote for the person that you feel is going to do the best for you, right. for you, for you. Just go ahead and do it. It's yeah. just um, they don't they don't do it. They don't do it. They're, if you're a Democrat, I had door slammed in my face when I was campaigning. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? I don't. I'm a Democrat. Oh, never mind. And they slammed the door. Or you're a Democrat? Oh, okay, no, no problem. I'll vote for you. And yeah. then you have knocking on the door, and the woman says what they said in 1950. I will give this to my, my husband, my brother, my son, whatever, and uh, he'll tell me how to vote. So there you go. That it's still, yeah. It's, so, it is. It's still, and you can't change apathy, and you can't force people to be interested. I mean, if if somebody no. isn't interested and truly doesn't care, then that is their prerogative. But I just, I, yeah. I hope in my heart of hearts that more people will care and will participate. Because the more people participate, the more our government represents the people that they're representing. But here's the thing for you to remember, and for me to remember. When I worked at MTA, um, I used to hang up on people, including Mirkaj, because I could, they did not know what the hell I was talking about mm-hmm. half the time. And so finally my boss said to me, come downstairs with me for a minute. So we went downstairs, and he's sitting on Madison Avenue there, and he said, you see all these people? He said, you think that everybody knows everything that you know. You travel at the top of the pyramid, and you think, they don't. They don't travel at the top of the pyramid. They don't know what you're talking about. And that's yeah. the same thing for you and for me, is that we are surrounded with women who know what they want to do, know how to get it done. But then not everybody is like that. You're knowledgeable, on, you know, and I'm knowledgeable, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. And it takes so, every kind of people. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it takes people to not care about this to do other important things. You know, medical and that's research, okay. taking that's, care of special needs kids. Like it, everybody yeah. has their own calling they have in life niche. and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And we whatever have, we, we do. Right. We we I also participate on the at the um, mental health committee that we have in our temple, our, our synagogue, um, because I'm trying to figure out how to put a task force together to look into all these school shootings uh, and why they're happening and what 
and this really has to be all the stakeholders, school boards, people, educators, everybody. You're not allowed to hug a kid today like you used to because right away you could be accused of molesting them. So yeah. how then do we find, if we see and we think there may be a problem, how do we go about telling parents? How do we go about helping them? Mental health is amazing. It's just it's so prevalent. It's so prevalent, the issues. And I think I wrote about my own problems in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah. my editor made me do that. <laughs> well, but I mean, I think it's good because, I mean, depression is, I mean, it's practically uh, ubiquitous in this society. I mean, you cannot... Yeah. Uh, you, 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 everybody knows somebody that struggles with it. Probably knows oh five my or God. ten somebody struggle with it. You know, everybody. And, um, yeah, everybody. Yeah. It's not an easy issue at all. Uh, but we have to learn that there's no stigma attached to it. That's the other thing. And so again, we go back to educating the public. There's nothing. If you're depressed and you have depression, okay, that's it. Then let's get to work on it. But it right. doesn't here's mean... the problem. This is how we fix it. We've come full circle from the beginning right. to the to the end of the show. Here's right. the problem. Let's let's do something about it. Let's fix it. And so, well, <laughs> oh the mental God. health discussion we'll have to wait for another time because our hour is up. But okay, Barodkin, well, thank you yeah. so much for coming on the show today. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing more details about your life, and and I'm sure that the listeners out there have have really enjoyed it as well. And those of you who, uh, those of them who weren't acquainted with you before today, hopefully uh-huh. they will. Go out and uh, and read your book. There are so many little vignettes in there that talk about funny situations throughout her entire life. Yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. They are funny. So they, can, uh-huh. they are. They are. So they can reach Thank you. Thank you at, very much for letting me spout. Oh, <laughs> and of then. course. Of course. I love it. I love it. That's my job. I, my job is is to is is to help people tell their stories that and that's I love that that's it's one of my one of my favorite things in the world now how well, can people get to your book you've got an author page well we on are Amazon. on Amazon now we are okay. on Amazon and don't pay attention if it says the book is all sold out it is not the, what happens is they won't do shipping for me until I reach a certain amount so I get the order and I will get you the book so don't Excellent. worry about it. It's on Amazon. So you can get it there. And then we, right now we're working with Barnes & Noble to see about getting it in there, uh, in their, their uh, self-published area that they have books on. And there's a place here in Colorado called the Book Bar. And it's going to be there, and hopefully I will be doing a reading and book signing there too. So it's around. Perfect. And the you know, you got the website and you got everything. Facebook, the whole deal. Twitter. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's easy it's easy to find. Well then the title of the book is Caught Between the Bettys and my guest was Alice Barodkin. This is Shannon Fisher. Thank you guys for listening to uh The Authentic Woman on the Authors on the Air Global Network. Alice, good night. Thank you so much. Good night, Sam, and I'll see you in New York. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.
Hey, everybody, it's Cyber Monday, and you haven't got a minute to lose. Today's the last day to get 40% off everything at OldNavy.com. Today only, everything at OldNavy.com is 40% off. Your favorite cozy sweaters, 40% off. Sleepwear, 40% off. Coats, yeah, they're 40% off too. And everything at Old Navy stores is also on sale for 30% off. Head to OldNavy.com right now for 40% off or stop by your Old Navy store for 30% off everything, except gift cards. Don't miss out. The Old Navy sale ends today.